Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Coach Unplugged. Um... Before we jump into the podcast, I'd like to give a big shout out to our two sponsors. First of all, teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Like I've said um, a couple times this month, um, they allow us to keep these podcasts going. If you're if you're on the fence, um, if you like these podcasts, no one else puts a podcast out seven days a week. No one else has the contents or the free content that we put out. And the reason we're able to do that is teachhoops.com. So come over, support us, um, join, kick go around 14 day free trial as of right now. Um, you can kick the tires around, get to know me, get to know our community. I think you'll, I think you'll love it. Um, also go over and, um, call the people at Dr. Dish. Um, that is something also you can do for this podcast. Um, tell them that coach unplugged sent you. Um, that is big. Um, they just, I just want, they're one of our sponsors and I want them to know that people are listening to this podcast and that they're hearing about Dr. Dish from us. So if you can do that, that would, that would mean a lot. It's a great machine. Like I said, we own two of them. Um, they are, uh, they are second to none. So go over and check it out. Let's head off to the podcast. All right. Welcome to coach unplugged. All right, coach Miller. So I'm very excited. I, you're, I don't know if you're my first fellow podcaster, um, I, I've done like 650 of these, which is wow. crazy. Um, I, you might be, you might be my first, first one. If not, I know a couple of people, maybe I interviewed have started them since, but sure. um, so I'm super excited. I've got some actually podcast casting questions. I'm going to ask you at some point, okay. but uh, I'm going to have you, what I'm going to have you do is kind of introduce yourself first and just kind of, um, kind of tell your journey is what I say. Tell me your story. Um, cause I think it always intrigues people. Everyone's story is different. I think, especially with everything that's going on with the world right now, mm-hmm. I think if we actually understood everyone's story, the world would be different. That's mm-hmm. what I always tell my players. It's like, um, 
you know, they'll, we'll go on a road trip and someone, someone will give them a hard time or have a bit. I go, you, you, I understand, but you have to, you don't know their story. Maybe they had, maybe something bad happened today. Maybe something, you don't know what happened. Don't judge on one interaction. Um, but I would love that. If you could just kind of tell your story, where you went to school, kind of how we got to the point where we are right now. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into talking about out of bounds plays and stuff. Well, so I appreciate all, you all yours coach. I'm going to drink some coffee, turn it over to you for about two or three minutes and then I'll be back. Okay. Go I, ahead. Appreciate, I appreciate you having me on. I'll keep it primarily to the basketball side of things. Uh, I played high school basketball, played at a smaller private school. Um, the school that I chose is the school that I'm at right now. And at the time they didn't have intercollegiate sports at all. And so I went to that school uh, with the intentions of becoming a high school athletic director and a coach. I went to school for four years. No, um, I know coach told me back in 2012. And what, and why didn't they, it was just a charter thing. They just, they, they had had it originally way back about 60 years prior to that and had just kind of gone away from it. I think they just, they didn't want the emphasis to be on the sports side of things. Okay. That makes um, sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, it kind of plays Faith into based. the story yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I went to school, finished my undergraduate degree, um, didn't feel like I was prepared to go into the classroom. Both of my parents were teachers. And so they <laughs> kind of suggested that while I was single and while I had the time and uh, while we were all living here in the, in the state and in, in the actual city. And so I was able to stay at home, got my master's degree in education. And at about that time, the people who were in the faculty positions were kind of retiring. And so they asked me to stay on with the stipulation that I go on and get my doctorate. Okay. And, and first so, of all, no one's ever ready to be a teacher. I'm just no. telling you right now. Yeah, you're right. You're no one's right ever ready. They don't, I told another podcaster this. I don't think they don't tell you about like when the kid no. comes in and throws up on you or the parent yeah. calls you 10 minutes before class starts or, yeah, you're never ready, but yeah, it's like being a coach. <laughs> and with college age kids, the problems are a little bit different, but they're yeah. just they're just they're kind of the same, just a little bit different. Right, right. So I ended up getting my uh, doctorate degree, and part of that was at the end of it, I had to do an internship, and that is when the school was beginning intercollegiate sports. So that coincided okay. right with that. Okay. And so I was able to because it was a new situation and a new program. Uh, the head coach allowed me to come on as basically his director of ops. So okay. that first year I did my internship as the director of, of basketball ops for the team. God, and then life's, it kind about, of just, life's about timing, isn't it? Yeah, oh it's perfect. <laughs> so it, it kind of just morphed into a volunteer assistant position. And I stayed in that, that role for about the next five years, I think it was. And then once he moved over to become the full-time athletic director, that's when Coach Uaro, who probably a lot of your listeners yeah. have seen on Twitter and who you're referring to, he became the head coach. Long story short, he and I had been friends and known each other for years because we had you know, followed the same college team and uh, our parents knew each other. He had come to our church for a while. So it was kind of like a seamless transition to me becoming the assistant coach for him. And okay. so I just finished my third year working under him. And what, what, what are your responsibilities? So he, I mean, he's fantastic. He's he not, not a micromanager. He's very secure in who he is. He is willing to learn and listen. And so we've kind of done it together. Um, he handed me the, the defense. And so I do the primarily the half court defense. Okay. As you listen to this, it's going to sound weird. Um, 
he he does the full court defense, so we okay. press a lot. Right. Um, and then I teach the half court defense. He does the offense. I do the special situations, which is what we're talking about okay. today. Yeah. So I think it allows us to not. Um, you know, sometimes during, I've been a part of practices where you have one coach who has his responsibilities and then he's done and he like kind of not checks out, but he kind of like, he's done. And then the next guy picks up, but the way that it's set up, we both are working together the entire time. And I think it keeps both of us focused. It allows the kids to hear both voices. Right. Um, and I've actually liked the way that it's worked out. And are you out recruiting? Are you I mean, is that part of your thing or is he does primarily most of it? I think that what I didn't tell you is the assistant coach job is kind of a, it's almost a, um, a hobby for me. Not that I don't put a lot of, right. I, I put everything into it, but my, I get paid to be a professor at the university. So okay. it's a little bit different because I, I oversee the academic side of it and he's very he understanding of that. And um, so he, he does a lot of the out on the road recruiting, but right. I'll try to pick up where I can and, and do some. And, uh, we, we recruit a lot of local kids, um, just to kind of give you a background of the school. So we're transitioning into division three and because of the financial aspects of it, it's really advantageous for us to primarily focus on the kids here in the state. Right. So we have, we we're getting more kids from the Greenville, Spartanburg, um, Columbia, uh, even reaching up into Charlotte a little bit and Asheville areas of North Carolina, but we try to stay in the Carolinas for a lot of our recruiting. And he has a lot of ties down in Georgia. Um, he and I were both from Georgia. So we kind of go down there. Sometimes I've traveled down there. So yeah, we, we split the responsibilities, but he does primarily most. Division three tends to be that way. My son just graduated high school and was going off to Middlebury, which is in Vermont. Mm-hmm. And, um, it tends to be unless it's a school like that. It tends to be very regional. Like the, yeah. the state they, schools in Wisconsin put up a pretty good fence yeah. around Wisconsin, kind of thing. You know, yeah. um, I've found it's usually the two extremes. One is you have a lot of kids from where you're at, or you're recruiting kids from nowhere near where you're at. I know right. a couple schools from Minnesota. My wife's family's from there. Okay. And I got a lot, and I know one school has almost all local kids. And a school in the same conference down the street literally has no kids from the area. It is. It's like there's a there's a small D three in Madison, which is you know the the metropolitan area is a half a million people, mm-hmm. and in and, and nobody from Madison wants to go to that little D three. They yeah. they go out and they go out like thirty miles, forty miles, and then try to get them to come back in. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. It, it there could be several books written on how the recruiting works, especially at that level. Um, yeah. So much different than the D1 level. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of unknowns to it. You know, there's um, we get this first, second, third place. Well, first place is the best. Second place is almost as good. And third place, there's a lot of good players in Division Three. So you're working against that sometimes. Right. Um, you're working against, well, there's no athletic scholarships. So that immediately turns off either a kid or his parents who really want their kid to get an athletic scholarship. Right. And the truth is a lot of times you can get more money and pay less to go to a division three with no athletic scholarship than you do to go to a division one. Uh, I think everybody thinks that you're going to North Carolina, Wisconsin, Kentucky and getting a full ride. Right. That's what they don't understand. They don't understand that there's like, if you no. play lacrosse, yeah, I don't get it. I, yeah. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't, but, it's, 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 I'm paying less than, so I, I live literally like five minutes from U- university of Wisconsin. I'm from Madison. Like I, my kid could jump in the car and get there in 10 minutes. Easy. And it's cheaper for me to send them to Vermont to a really, really, really good school than it is to send them 10 minutes away. 
just because yeah. of the financial aid and the yeah that's what people don't you got you got to do your you got to do your homework a little bit on some of that stuff i think yeah right. we talk a lot about fit and i i feel like the fit does go there, there has to be a financial component to it because i mean the reality is especially right. day and age literally right now there's a lot of people that are strapped financially or are going to be strapped financially. So right. the financial component does need to fit into it, but they need to become educated as to what that is. Um, I've tried to encourage coaches, high school coaches to help with that a little bit. I think sometimes maybe they don't even know what all is available. So pushing kids away from this athletic scholarship, I know it makes them look good to say that their kid got a, right. a player, got a full ride, but it's not the best fit for the no. kid. I'd, I, and I'd say don't get caught up on the number too. No. Like, <laughs> there's no. a lot of D3 schools that are better than D2 schools and mm-hmm. D2 is better than, I mean, it's like, it, the, yeah, sometimes like, it's culture of the school. I mean, the truth is, is that the kids go into a place that for the next four years during a very um, influential time in their life, they're going to be molded and shaped and you've just let your kid go however many hundreds of miles away and you've entrusted them to people that you don't really know. Right. I would, and that those people are going to basically shape, him during very formative years for the rest of his life. Right. I think when you put it that way, it may kind of wake the parents up a little bit. Like yeah. these people could ruin what you just worked really hard to do for the last <laughs> 18 years right. or can help it. And right. are you really going to make that decision based off of being able to tell everybody else you got an athletic scholarship? No, I agree. So, I agree. I love that. All right. Let's talk about, let's talk about out of bounds place. Can you, um, you know how to share the screen on Zoom, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Let okay. me pull up first the diagrams. I'll just show you. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that first. Let's go through the diagrams first. I've got about 10 plays. Okay. Uh, they're separated into blobs, slobs, and then I've got a couple kind of quick hitters that we okay. can look at. Yep. Um, I would say just as far as plays and designing plays, there's usually about three things that I try to either do when I'm creating a play or, you know, for most people, I understand that they're probably going to be going to YouTube or going to fast model or something like that to find a play. And so I would encourage them to kind of look for these three things. The first is to be able to have multiple scoring opportunities. I don't know how many games that I go to recruiting wise high school and I see one action. And if they don't get a bucket off of that one action or if it's defended, well, they kind of just throw it to the safety and yeah they go to the safety a lot and what do you mean by multiple actions do you mean like go ahead so i'll actually talk about multiple actions in a minute but uh the multiple scoring opportunities is if i have a chance for let's just talk about this first play right here so um you have the opportunity for the ball to be passed right off of this initial screen from four to two to shoot and score or instead you turn around and you've got the rescreen and you've got the slip to the basket and the four can score. So I've got the two that can score or I've got the four that can score. Right. So that's what I'm talking about is just, you know, that, that one's real simple, but yep. there could be other spots on the floor where, okay, well, if that guy's not open, then I can throw it to this guy. Um, I've had two, it's kind of difficult to teach a younger player that because a lot of times they're fixated on one thing. And if that one thing's not open, then they kind of just quit and throw it to the safety. So you almost have to teach your players how to be an inbounder. It's kind of like being a quarterback and, you know, you've got your check downs and this guy's not open. I'm going to look for this guy first. So trying to I teach think your that's players. a golden nugget right there, coach, that I think a lot of, especially young coaches don't do is yeah. you really have to teach them how to throw the ball in. Usually yeah. I can find one, maybe two on my entire roster that are good enough to do it. Just like how many quarterbacks do you really have? You know, right. Right. <laughs> I mean, but you need to teach them like 
look here, look there, look there. I mean, yes, I think that's really important out of bounds plays wise. Yeah. And that's going to be harder. It's going to take you some additional time because you think of a point guard, a point guard probably is a little bit more apt to do it. That's why we usually have our point guard throwing the ball in. They're used to looking for this. And if this not open, then I throw it to that. And you stick your three men in there and you're like, why can't this person see that this other guy is open? And right. it almost like hit me like a ton of bricks. Like this kid doesn't, he's not used to looking for options like that. And so um, I found myself two years ago, we were kind of in a rough spot as far as injuries and had people playing that we weren't planning on playing. And we had gotten spoiled by people who were just used to the feel of the game, looking for that, you know, next play, next play. Right. And so I found myself having to teach a kid walking them through, not just to know the plays. I think we kind of focus primarily on them just knowing what the plays are, but you're going to have to take some time to teach the inbounder. Okay. Look here. This is where your eyes should go first. This is where your eyes should go second. If that's not open, then you can throw it to this third guy here. And I always use the example sometimes when we're doing film, it's like, I'm not going to have Shaquille and he'll throw the ball in like he'd be horrible because he, he's how many times has he thrown it to the post you know they, right then I, I don't use that as much as i used to because they go who's she <laughs> right. they know him from tv commercials but they don't know what kind of player he was but right. um right. you know that's kind of the analogy you got to think about i i like that yeah go ahead uh, i too that first year that what i'm referring to in the film that i'll show you is from the year before this so it won't look quite the same but the the year where we had all those players hurt especially early in the year we had one guy who had experience right and literally I don't think teams had picked it up because you know early in the season they're not really scouting as much or they're really focused on their offense literally every inbounds play was for him and so, you know, if you only have two guys on your team that can score, then you probably should be designing several different looks or several different out-of-bounds plays that are for those primary scorers. Like right. how many times do we have this awesome play and then the kid who we don't want to shoot is the one that's wide open and gets in shoots, right? <laughs> like Bob Huggins says, he's, the other kids are open for a reason. That's exactly yeah. right. And <laughs> it, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even happen on, on purpose. Like it just right. happens sometimes. Yeah. So make sure that you're designing and picking your plays um, for a kid that can actually score. score. <laughs> so multiple scoring opportunities. And then the second thing that I would say is I, I like to pick plays that have multiple actions. And that's why I kind of stopped you before. Okay. You know, it's my terminology. But what I mean by multiple actions, I'll just take this the same play. So you see up here in the first screen, you have four setting the screen for two. Right. But then on the other side of the floor, there's another action going on, another screen on that side of the floor. And the reason I like that is because it keeps your help defenders occupied. You know, too many times we only have one action going on on one side of the floor and the other help defenders are like, well, my guy's not doing anything. I'm just going to kind of sit over here and clog the lane. Right. Right. I'm going to cause so, problems. Yeah. Right. If I can even kind of distract the primary defenders or the, the guys that are going to give the help defense, if I can distract them while I'm getting an action on the side of the floor that I want, I want those multiple actions happening at the same time so that help defenders aren't able to just sag in the paint or clog things up or okay. give any kind of support. And the last one that I would say is I, I try to find plays and work with plays that have what I call consecutive actions. We're familiar with this if you run like flex offense. So yep. you have the cross screen to the down screen, right? So it's two actions back to back. And uh, this play has it. Uh, we like the screen rescreen. Everybody likes a screen rescreen because you have going under and then they have to communicate the switch and then you come have them coming back. And, you know, the consecutive actions really force a defense to talk 
and it forces people to make switches a lot of times. Um, so if you can have a consecutive action in there, it will a lot of times against teams that don't talk well, that don't switch, it'll usually give you something that's wide open. So talk about this play going back to this, the screen rescreen. So you have force initially set the screen and then turns around and sets the screen again. Well, who's going to be, where's their attention going to be? It's going to be on the two, right? Cause you're trying to right. set a screen for two. Yeah. Well, four just slips to the basket and has a wide open layup. So anytime that you can get a consecutive action of one action followed by another one, I'll show you another play here in a minute that has one back to back. Or if you can do three in a row, there's no way that the defense is going to be able to go. Right. And especially at the high school level or junior or junior high, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so I'll give you a very practical example of this. So you're the, I'm the team preparing for you, right? Yep. And you have a play that has a consecutive action in it chances are I'm going to be defending like how many times during a practice do you defend multiple actions like that? You usually are working. Okay. Let's take, let's take three minutes here, two minutes here and work on ball screens, right? right, Let's take two minutes here and work on dribble handoffs. All right. Let's take two minutes here and work on pin downs. Right. You're very rarely working on a dribble handoff. All right. And that leads into a ball. So there it's something usually they, unless you're playing a very experienced team, that they haven't seen before they can defend at one action, but they're not used to communicating it to a second action. And that's usually where you can find a wide open player. Yeah. I love that. I'll go on to the next one here. Um, I think you're going to see through these that all of our out of bounds plays start out with a, this, the four low. Okay. I think this is common. People understand this, but if I can keep them all looking the same, they're a little bit harder to scout. You know, I don't know to what degree at the high school level or the level that the person listening to this is going to have the other opponent scouting them. But, you know, at our level, they're looking for anything that tips them off, right? And so right. even lining guys up in the same spot sometimes will be helpful if you can disguise the things that you're doing. I, um, I think that's a great tip, too. Though. I always tell coaches to do that. Like, if you're going to do a box set, then find every – you're going to find every action and multiple action and consecutive actions – in a, you just got to do a little bit more homework yeah. if you're going to do like everything out of a box set or everything out of a low one four or a stack set or whatever it is. Yeah. I will make one more tip, not a nugget for people. You can run all of your four low stuff in a box set. Hey everybody. Hope you're enjoying that. I'm enjoying the podcast. Um, make sure you subscribe and like. We, we appreciate those. Those five-star reviews mean a lot to us. Go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Um, I'm going to challenge you right now. I do this once in a while. I'm going to challenge you to become a better basketball coach. Um, you know, grit, I was just doing something about grit. Grit is passion and perseverance. And if you have those, you have to get better. Let teachhoops.com help you do that. Go over and check it out, 14-day free trial. And let's head back to the podcast. So you can just bring your two up here to the elbow, three up here to the elbow, and I tell my players, we can basically immediately, without much practice, double the number of plays in our playbook by running things either out of a box or four low. It's the same play. Right. It's just, I will tell them maybe like before the guy is handed the ball, start in your box, but start to move down here to the corners. And then you right. run your same play out of a four low. I set. love that. I love so, that. And that can um, give them, yeah. And that could be like a last second thing. Yep. Maybe you've been running the low one four. I mean, there's all sorts of ways you can tweak. I like that. Yeah. So this next one here, another another thing that I would say with your inbounds plays is, is have some sort of like counter. Um, we've had this play for the last eight years in our program. Everybody knows it. And so sometimes they'll cheat it and the two will just stay down here. And as soon as they stay down here, we just go ahead and throw it in right away. 
So up here on this top play, you have the screen and the rescreen as the right. two comes back to the corner. In this play, though, there's just the down screen, and then we finish it up with a pin down. So that's a consecutive action of one pin down followed by another pin down. Very simple, but kind of a counter to that first. Um, this third one here is a little bit of a misdirection. I was watching a video of this. I'd forgotten that we ran this, and I was looking in the wrong spot and somebody else scored. So, so I thought, oh man, that's a pretty good play. I need to bring that back. Right. Um, it basically, uh, this is another reason why we like staggers, right? Is because those are actually just consecutive actions. It's two pin downs back to back. Right. Um, and anytime that you can get misdirections, that typically will result in a layup. I'll show you a video of that here in a minute. But um, so the two you end up comes to the elbow here and it looks like they're going to set the screen, but they're actually coming off a stagger. And while this is happening on this side of the floor, the four just slips right to the front of the rim and you get a wide open layup a lot of times with that. I like that. So I know coaches are sitting here and like, oh, okay, that's great. Or they're listening and they're like, that's great. But we play zone all the time, right? <laughs> right. So, so you Hopefully can you're not an elementary or middle school coach and you're playing. Right. But let us, let last us one, though, I mean, it's a four low and we run this against zones and get plays scoring opportunities out of it all the time. So it's just basically a spread out. Everybody spreads out to the perimeter. We pass the ball around the perimeter. And as the ball is being passed around the perimeter, the four flashes to the block, usually flashing right to the middle of the zone where the gap is. Same principles that we typically use for zone offense. And then if one takes the shot, you have five running to the backside of the rim for a rebound on the far side of the rim. So you can run. There, there are plenty of plays in that alignment that you can run in zone as well. Um, we will run things sometimes out of a stack. Uh, we've run things out of kind of like an off-centered block. If you've seen like a, just a square over here on the side. Right. Um, but I would encourage you to kind of keep them all looking the same. That way they're harder to scout rather than one in a stack, one in a box, one in a, yeah. you know, those. That's hard. And th th what I tell too, I tell coaches that you want to teach your players to find, especially against a zone on out of bounds place, find space, open mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you know, you're, um, and then the cutting is hard for a zone when you're cutting, especially on out of bounds play in that quick, because their, their head gets churned for a second. And that's where you're going to get, you're going to be able to exploit at that point. Right. Um, and, and some of the things that I've given you as nuggets, I use them solely for the purpose of, I care about the regional tournament and the national tournament. So right. in the last about four years, we've won two regional championships and finished runner up in the region twice. We've been to the national tournament three out of the last four years. Right. And I'm coaching for the regional and the national tournament because there's a chance, most likely I'm going to be seeing a team for a third time in the regional tournament. So they've played against all of these. Right. I don't show all of my hands during the, during the regular season. So right. those adjustments I don't use until the regional tournament. And some of them I literally save to the national tournaments. So we were runners up. We lost by two, two seconds of the game, two years or three years ago in the national championship game the time that we had, we would get to that final game would have scouted everything that we have seen would know all of our play calls. And we were still running new things in that last game, yep. but they weren't new, completely new plays. They were just one little tweak here or there to make it a little bit harder because you know, how many games do we lose by, you know, we're always crying. We look back over our schedule and we're like, man, we lost five games this year by a combined nine points. Right? right. And so like one or two points here or there in these special situations can be the difference between a win or a loss. So, yeah. So, you know, by early on in my coaching career, I was standing, I remember next to assistant and said to him, why are we spending so much time on our special situations? 
but now looking back on it and you know being in charge of the special situations now you know how many games are we losing by two points three points and those two possessions we could have scored on in special situations so you know we spend more time on our special situations yes i agree i it's it's so helpful um, these down here at the bottom, the next grouping is the slobs, and it's the same principles. We'll do a lot of things out of the same alignment, so everything's out of kind of a box set. Um, I'm trying to get the ball into the hands of guys that can score, so my plays are designed for that. Sometimes that can be difficult because you graduate a kid, and now your three is not your best player. Your two is your best player. So um, adjusting your plays so that you obviously have opportunities for guys to score that you want to score. Um, I'll talk about this right here, the second box, so it's the same play. It's just a down screen, get the ball in, and then your three comes around for a lob at the rim. Well, we had run this so many times that by the time we got to the national championship game, they knew what was coming. So instead of this, instead of running around the screen, he would run around the screen, and then the five would immediately turn around and set him a re-screen, and he popped back out to the wing for a wide open three right because they're going to stop the lob yeah so there's your that's what we were talking about with in terms of a counter i love that right so um the next one here this is let's see well that's that same action this one is for a big so you have uh the multiple screens here so those consecutive actions that i was telling you about so you have one right. scoring opportunity here if you want to come down here so there's one one scoring opportunity and then your second scoring opportunity comes off a consecutive action where you have the one and the two back screening here for the five and you get them in a low post situation so kind of just combining those principles that i talked about early on before the quick hitters i mean any questions about any of those? no yeah so a couple things how do you how do you name your num your out of bounds plays or how do you call them so my uh blobs i'll just go numbers okay um i'll that kind of a nugget trick with this to help the kids remember sometimes I will the number based off of who I want scoring. Okay. So if it's a play designed for the one, then that's going to be one. If it's a play designed for the two, then it'll be two. Um, I, this year combined a couple. So those multiple actions that I was talking about, I had a play called 42. That was to help them remember that the four and the two were our two scoring options. So okay. if you want to get really tricky with it, you can do that for, for naming those. Um, for the quick hitters, I will attempt to do something that I can have a hand signal with. I, I love that. I love you know, that too. You get yep. a big gym. Um, if you're watching this, you can see the backdrop that I have that's attempting to cover the door that the kids are walking through <laughs> is uh, a game that we play every year against our rivals. And there's usually about 3,500 to 4,000 people in the, in the, arena for that game and so right. i can't use my voice isn't going to be enough i've got to use right. hand signals so yeah i always say they got to be able to do it with one hand like yeah. they got to be able to do it because the point guard's got to be able to dribble up and call it sure about yeah i love that um so side out of bounds do you work on what i have found is i have to work on both sides of the court like when yeah. i reflect it i'm a math teacher but when i go to the others like i can they will know it on the right side and all of a sudden when i go to the left side Mm -hmm. the, the, the difference in movement is just enough. Um, so I teach other classes as well. Um, you know, we talk about uh, coaching baseball and coaching softball. I feel really bad for the left-handed players that have gone through life with right-handed coaches. You show them how to bat, you show them how to throw. And we all know that that doesn't work like that for left-handed right. players. Right. And I think it's the same. It is the same thing to a degree for playing. I'll talk to, we can talk about this in just a few minutes, or if you want to talk about it now, but actually teaching 
place. Um, I think there's a, a good way to go about doing it. And one of those things is to incorporate left side, right side. Yeah, let's do that at the end. Let's do the quick hitters yeah. and then we'll, we'll, we'll do that at the end. I'll write myself a note. All right, let's do these. Let's do the quick hitters. So I like to do horn sets. Some people hate horn sets. That's completely fine. I'm just going to use them as an example of what okay. I want to talk about. I like horn sets because it immediately gives you good spacing. And I think probably most coaches would say that would be why they like them. You know, you immediately get your players 12 to 15 feet apart, which is what we're always trying to do. I mean, we talk about ball movement, player movement, and spacing all the time. The horn sets usually give you each of those in a kind of pattern manner. Right. And so that's typically why I go about using them. The question I always have asked is, can I run these against a zone? Some of them are great against the zone. Some of them don't work against the zone. So I would make sure if, if you decide this is what I want to use, that you're incorporating enough that can be used when you got a two, three zone or so, whatever it is. Yeah. So, you know, another reason why I like using what we already talked about, I'm able to have multiple plays out of the same alignment. It's going to be a little bit harder to scout that way. So most of our set plays are going to be out of this horn set and high school, college, especially we've got more opportunities for dead ball situations. I'm saying out of a timeout, you know, we're going to go to ISO. So on this next play down, run ISO, or we'll even script like football players, the first two or three possessions of a game. So the first three possessions down, we want to get this, this, and then this. And I'm usually going after a mismatch or getting the ball into the hands of my best score. Okay. You, know, you know, this basketball is a game of momentum and I want to start the game with as much momentum as I can get. So if I can get, if I can script the first three plays, college coaches are already control freaks, right? So it makes them feel good anyways. But if right. I can get, if I can get what I want in those first three possessions, then that's going to help us. Hopefully. I think, I think it's also a, um, I, I just watched a three-part miniseries on History Channel about Grant, mm -hmm. um, the the general. And anyway, he, he basically some of his wartime things is he was just trying to figure out how the Confederates were working. Mm -hmm. It's a similar at the beginning of a game. You're just kind of probing, like, sure. how are they going to handle my ball screens? How are they going to do this? Now, that things will change as a game, but that's why I like sometimes. We do it maybe a, a third of the time scripting, depending sure. on who we're playing. But that's why I like it, because it kind of gives me a sense of, well, that's not going to work this game. Maybe we have to do go down this road rather than this mm -hmm. one. I, th I think that's a great golden nugget for some of the young coaches. It's like um, that scripting can be I, – I think basketball coaches steal a lot of stuff from football coaches. I don't think they'll ever admit it, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they do. I would say, too, um, you know, for us, we run a lot of we, – we run a conceptual offense, but we'll, we will set start a lot of games in a – scripted set play right you know, there are other coaches who are going to run a set play every time down the floor yeah, don't i don't want to play like that but you know i'm not averse to doing two or three set plays at the beginning of the game to yep. get one. so um this is the example of getting the ball into the hands of your primary score who you want to score you know we had a kid who was a mismatch he was too quick for big players he was too big for small players uh, this you just get the ball straight into his hands, clear out a side form, and let him either go to work, or let him just turn around and back a smaller player down. So that's the principle of getting the ball into your best player's hands. Uh, this one I love. I would encourage every coach to add this to their playbook. This is for you to pick on the most over aggressive player defender on the court, and it's usually a kid who's talking trash and clapping in the face of right. your other 
other best player, just that really annoying kid. And he's the one that you want to burn. So you throw it to the five, the three runs up the line, you know, he's being face guarded as the kids clapping in his face. And then you break back door and you usually get a wide open layup out of it. The principle for the counter to that is if he's being overplayed and you're not able to get the ball to three, you immediately turn around and have a handoff. And usually the one's not paying attention. And so you get a handoff and a drive right to the bucket there. So yeah, the principle of the counter that we had talked about earlier. Uh, and then this last one here is what we talked about with the consecutive actions. I just wanted to show you something like this. So this is a horn set. The one dribbles down to the wing and you have the handoff immediately followed by the down screen. So there's that back-to-back -back action and it incorporates the multiple actions that we talked about because as you can see on the opposite side of the floor, you have the four setting the pin down for the two. So the four can't just hang out and help defense in the middle of the lane. He has to talk through the two coming off of the down screen on that side. So you could have this for a shooter if you wanted to. So you could do a uh, dribble handoff to three. The three comes off to five screen and then immediately throws it to two for the shot on the wing or drive to the bucket. I like that. I, I, I like the horns too, just for some young coaches in the sense that it's an easy, it's a relatively easy set. And there's, and when you start sketching your own plays out, it's going to put you in the spots that you need to put them. Um, yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, there's been some that I've even run out of a timeout and you know, that's always risky, you know, drawing up a brand new play, yeah. but they're simple enough that if they have a concept of where I already, you know, half your battle is getting them to go to the right spot on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> like how many times do you draw something up and then they walk out there and they're like on the wrong side of the floor, the wrong, you're like, that's nothing what I drew up in the play. Right. This one, if I can say, go straight to your horns actions, you know, Jimmy set the pin down for Tommy on that side of the floor. Like that's pretty simple. So right. it's a real easy way to kind of a hack to give you a new play. If you need to play late game or something like that. I love that. I love that. Can you have any of these Any of these we could show the video? Yeah, absolutely. So let me switch the screen over let's here. Do, to let's our... do a couple of those, and then we'll come back to that um, teaching, how to, how to teach these plays. I think that'd be a great golden nugget, too. So we use Synergy. It's basically what every college uses, to be honest with you. So can you see the screen I can. now? Yep. This is our back screen, cross screen, the middle of the floor, and the score. So these aren't going to be wide open because this is that national championship game that I was telling you about. Yeah, so I know. They, had, they had scouted everything. But just is this two? Is this two or three? Is this? Um, this is one I don't think that I had put in there. Okay. Is, I call this uh, basic because okay. basically every if you run four low, every team in the country runs this play. Okay. It's five shoots up the, up the lane. Like he's going to catch the ball, receives a back screen. And while that's happening, this guy comes and sets a screen for your shooter. And then you slip to the basket. So it has those consecutive actions that we talked about. There's your first action, second action, slip to the basket. That's the kid that's bigger than everybody and faster than anybody big that he plays against. I love that. Next one here, screen. This was three that we just talked about. So he could have turned around. That's just the pin down. Can you see that? So, yeah. So the first one was just, I love that counter. It, yeah, it was. Um, okay, so that's the second one. Yeah, put the, put the first one. Let me see the motion in the first one. I didn't see the movement on the first one. Is that one? Did you see that one? Yeah, that one I saw. The first one I didn't see. They just were stuck there and they didn't move. I don't know if that was just the, there, that one. Yeah, hit play on that one. Let me see that one. There we go. Perfect. Okay, so that's the rise high screen, screen and then the slip pin, pin. And that one, we get a lot of looks on that one, to be yeah. honest, that, that last option. The problem is you got to teach them to hold that and believe that it's going to be there. <laughs> I would say that most, I had a Division I uh, 
coach tell me this. Most of our problems is, is that we're not teaching people how to screen the right way. If you watch most division one games, they're basically just kind of running towards a guy. They don't ever make contact with anybody. Right. You set a good screen and typically you're going to get something wide open. And I would say too, I had a, that was during this season, the end of the year, the kid goes, coach, they, they know all of our plays. And I said, it doesn't matter if they know all of our plays. They can't defend all of the actions if we set the screens the right way. And that's what and how do you, so, so here's the question. How do you teach screening? So I, we go slow, we go back and, and go, because what you'll find is they start out with the right technique. We just do it in games. Uh, I mean, we just do it in, in simulated situations. Right. And I will stop them and have them, you know, stop. All right, look, your feet aren't, I mean, everybody knows, right? The feet, right. shoulder width apart protect your area, you know, don't, no chicken wings, right. get set, be on balance, be ready to hit. Actually, no, that's not true. What I will, we actually go through it in a warm-up drill. We teach them how to screen in a warm-up drill. So we have a full court warm-up drill where they're just kind of moving up and down. It's a dynamic warm-up and they will start in the corners and they will run to the elbow. And as you approach the elbow, stutter stop. So you're kind of like you're closing out right. one, two, three, get set. And then open up like you're rolling to the basket. Then we'll run to the half court, stutter step, stop, then act like you're slipping. So it's a screen and slip. Run to the other elbow, stutter step, screen, and open up. And so we actually work on it well, in, I a, love that. in a warm-up drill at the beginning. I love that. Yeah, it's a skill that's that's lost, I think. It really is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so this is the second one. So what was the same, same motion? So if you go back to the PDF, two is that screen rescreen. Okay. This is the counter to that where they're they know that the screen's coming back to the corner. So we just keep going, throw it over the top. That was an all all region player, so that's a tough shot to make. But you have the second action though, would have been open here in the corner. Corner. Because it was the first pin down and then the second pin down. Could tell that was in full yeah. <laughs> work. Uh, the next one here is our, the basic again, screening a slip. So, I mean, you, you don't have to, you can run these multiple times and still get, uh, looks at the basket. Uh, this is what I was one that I was telling you about against the zone team that played us against the zone the entire time. And we did switch it over and we ran a stack. Okay. So basically it was just to kind of part the red sea here for this kid. So you have the 34 is going to set a screen on four here. Uh, two is going to run out to the corner to occupy number 20 and then you can't see him, but the kid here in the middle is going to just sit right down to the middle of the paint here. That's why he diagram plays. He gets shots like that. That's right. Up the lane, screen, catch, and then right down the middle of the lane. So, I mean, like you, like you saw before, everything's out of the same alignment. This is These were all from the regional or from the national tournament. So these teams had seen us play. Multiple times. So they know the inbounds plays. It's really at that point your technique and then being able to make plays, reads off of closeouts. Um, and, and then being good enough to make the shots. Right. I love that. Let me show you one of the inbounds from that sideline here. This is the box set that we were talking about. Okay. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you love it and you want to support us, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. 14-day free trial as we talk. Subscribe, like, jump up and down, do whatever you got to do. Those Apple podcasts mean a lot to us. I read every one of them. Have a great day. Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. 
We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.